Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're a guest this morning, it is so encouraging to us that you're here, and we hope that we can be an encouragement to you. As a matter of fact, hundreds have been going out into the streets the last few days and continue to do so over the next few days in hopes that someone will come and be a guest along with us as we worship God. And so it encourages us so much that you're here this morning, and we hope that you'll come back every time that you have an opportunity. We'll have Bible classes immediately following the worship services, and there are... Uh, there are sheets that tell where our Bible classes are at the Welcome Center. That is just out the middle doors here and to the right. And there will be individuals also there that can help you find the class that, that uh, perhaps would be a best fit for you. So be sure and let us know. We'd love for you to stay with us and visit with us uh, in our Bible classes as well. Also, uh, we think about the, uh, the great success already in the campaign. Let me mention just a, a few numbers to you. Uh, there have already, from Thursday, Friday, uh, Saturday, uh, there have already been 5,114 doors approached and knocked upon. 2,162 of those doors were answered and we had face-to-face contact. The other doors, there was information left in a packet. Uh, and then of those doors, there were 94 individuals that I wanted some kind of future contact from us. And so we have their name, their address, and those phone calls have already begun to be made. And several uh, of those calls will be made this afternoon and tomorrow. And as a result of either at the door or of those phone calls uh, being returned, uh, there have already been three Bible studies conducted uh, yesterday. There's one that will be, uh, will take place in just a couple of hours. And Uh, And then there are at least 16 more that are already scheduled, but there's still several of those contact cards to call back through. So there'll be even more studies as a result of just these contact cards here. And no doubt the other contact cards that'll come in on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. And then uh, the the greatest news of all about that is there have been so far two baptisms uh, into Christ, and we rejoice with that. Uh, Tisha? If you will, just raise your hand. Everybody can see Tisha there and uh, two of her children. uh, There are three. I see a third one and a fourth. There we go. All right. I was looking for all four of them. And her four children. And uh, Tisha Paschal was baptized yesterday. And we are so thankful uh, to to be a part of of witnessing that and seeing her life as she commits her life to the Lord. And then also uh, Crystal Pride was baptized into Christ and she will be uh, I believe at the second service is her plans. Also, so many others are helping in, in so many different ways of providing the food and driving vans and the community service at Charlie Daniels Park yesterday. And some will head uh, to the train station in the morning, uh, getting there before 6 o'clock in the morning with coffee and donuts. And also every home, every heart, as well as our pamphlet that we have written about the plan of salvation. And so individuals can take on the train a little bit of breakfast and a little bit of reading material as they're on their way to work. And we are thankful for everyone that's participating through prayer. And of course, everyone surely will participate in attending the gospel meeting and supporting uh, this and and that endeavor, endeavor, but also reaching out uh, to guests that are with us and making them feel warm. And it's just exciting. It's exciting to see when a whole body of people come together and say, you know what, this can be God's town. Uh, Let's have a greater influence for God in this town. And it's exciting to think what all God has in store for us even this week. Continue to be prayerful. 
Uh, continue to do everything that God gives you the ability and the opportunity to do. For all of you fathers, happy Father's Day. What a wonderful, wonderful blessing when God gives us uh, a godly father. And so for those that, that cling to a, a precious memory of a good father, for each of you that are good fathers today, we honor the design of God's home where he designed for homes uh, to, to have fathers. And, and we are, are thankful for that. One month to live. What would you change if you had only one month to live? Perhaps some immediately think that's a morbid question. It's not asked to be that way at all. It's the truth. It's just the opposite. We're asking it for you to think about life, not nearly as much death. You see, we're not saying what would happen at the end of that 30 days. We're saying if you knew that you had 30 days to live, what would you change? I want you in your mind, just for a moment, to take out a piece of paper in your mind. And I would encourage you to do this this week. And, and maybe even put a mark on the calendar and, and, and hold your friend accountable. Hold your family member accountable. And, and let's ask each other on, on, on the end of July... Let's ask each other, what changes have you made? If you were going to write down right now three changes you would make if you had only one life, one month to live in your life, what would you change over the next 30 days? What would you stop doing that you've been doing? What habits would you break? What addictions would you leave behind? What would you do that you've been saying you were going to do sometime? And what would you make sure that you just went ahead and did it? What phone call would you make or whose house would you drop by and ask for forgiveness? Because you know it's time to get that resolved. Who would you make sure that you encouraged? What would you make sure that you said to someone that you were mentoring? Or to your children? Or what message would you want your spouse to know about you and about them? What would you do if you only had 30 days to live? As we consider this, many individuals would think of, of this and it would be easy to immediately think, well, I'm, I'm going to live a lot longer than 30 days. And so why does it really matter? Do you realize that the way we were going to live if we only had 30 days to live would probably be the way that we ought to live the rest of our life? You know, when we look at a tombstone, there are a few things that are very familiar to almost every tombstone. We have the identity of the person. We have the date of their birth and the day of their death, and we have that slight line in the middle of the dash. And you know, most of the things on that tombstone, we do not have hardly any say over. Most of us do not choose our name unless you've changed your own name. None of us chose the date of our birth. We didn't choose what family we were born into. We didn't choose our nationality. We didn't choose our blood type. We didn't choose our genetics. And for most of us, we will probably have very little to do with our death. We don't schedule accidents or terminal diseases. And so when we look at a tombstone, 
Isn't it interesting that the way our tradition has been for so many hundreds of years is that we place on the tombstone facts that we have literally no control over except for that one little line, that dash in between the date of birth and the date of death. And friends, that dash represents our life. And it's there that we do have control. God made us people of choice. We get to choose what that dash represents. We get to choose the life we live. We get to choose if it's a life that towards the end we would look back and we'd say, I'd live it all back over again, just like I did. Or we can choose to live a life that toward the end we look back and say, I hate that. Why did I do that? Why didn't I do that differently? And so with that in mind, we ask the question, one month to live. What would you do if you had one month to live? And as you consider that, think about this. There will be some that as we ask this question, and it's one of the reasons we're asking this question, my prayer, I hope it's our prayer, is that over these next 30 days, that there will be some of us that will make major changes in our life. There will be some of us that will reach out and do things that we should have done a long time ago. But let's do them this month. There will be things that we should have stopped doing a long time ago. Let's stop doing them this month. In other words, for many of us, if we were to give an honest perspective of the fact of I only have 30 days to live, our mind would immediately become full of changes that really need to be made. I challenge you. Make those changes. But do you realize that the flip side of that is there will be some here because of their spiritual journey, they've already made the changes. And so as, as they study through this month of thinking about one month to live, they'll make very few changes because they've already been living their life. Not only as if they had one month to live, but they've been living their life of this may be my last day. In other words, I want to live every day to its fullest and to be right with God every day. You see, that description is what we all want and it can be defined in this simple phrase, a regret-free life. Living a regret-free life. So if you don't have that right now, why not? You have 30 days to live. Make it a regret-free month. Be able 30 days from now to look back and say, I have the fewest regrets over the last 30 days I've had over my lifetime. And now, if you can say that over 30 days, isn't that a way to live? Isn't that the way to live August and September and October? Isn't that the way to live 2010 and 2011 and 2012 if God wills us time? You see, the interesting irony of all of this is that none of us ever find the true passion for living until we're ready to live a life prepared for death. We're not ready to live until we're ready to die. So what is it that we need to keep in mind? Number one, I'd suggest to you this morning, no more some days. If you would be going back in your Bibles to 1 Samuel, the 17th chapter. No more some days. That in the Bible that is in your pew there, that's on page 261. 261. 
No more some days. Have you ever noticed how many times individuals will talk about changes that they're going to make in their life and then, very seriously, with very good intentions, they will throw on the end of that. I'm going to do that someday. They talk about a trip and they'll say, I'm going to take that someday. They talk about amends that they need to make and they'll say, I'm going to work that out someday. They'll talk about the the way that they ought to work in the workplace and and they'll talk about, "I'm, I'm going to start doing that someday. They'll talk about the time that they ought to spend with their children or with their grandchildren. They'll say, I'm going to do that someday. They'll talk about the investment that they need to make in their personal devotion to God and how I'm going to read my Bible on a regular basis someday. I'm going to be a person of prayer and meditation someday. And have you ever realized someday never comes around? Today's come around. Yesterday's are past. But some days never arrive. And so I want to challenge you this morning. Let's do away with some days and let's do things even if other people says, that's ridiculous. You're not really going to do that, are you? What are you thinking? Do you realize that the Bible is full of those moments that others around, if they were to use our language the way we do today, they would have said, that is absolutely ridiculous. What are you doing? Well, let's think about this scenario. We have Saul and all of the army of Israel and they were living by the someday rule. We're going to stay over here. In other words, we're not going to run and flee. We're just going to stay over here on our side of the valley. And every morning and every evening for 40 days, 80 times this giant has stood before them and challenged them to send out someone that would fight him. And if their soldier can defeat the giant, they will submit to them. But if the giant defeats their soldier, that they will submit to them. And he's done this for 80 times. And each time he says, I'm defying the army of Israel. The word defy means, is is very similar today of what we think of terrorism. It's the idea through fear to cause someone to feel defeat, through fear to cause someone to act as if they surrendered. Here's this giant saying, hey, I've already conquered you and our men haven't even crossed the line. I defy your Israel. I defy the army of your God. And you know what, Saul? Now, I'm not saying to you that this word is in the text, but you know what his attitude was? Someday we're going to do something about that giant. Well, Saul, when are you going to do something? It's been over a month now, and this has happened twice a day for 40 days. You know what the problem was? If you have your Bible open, the problem is back there in verse 11. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Fear always causes people to talk about someday. And David, a young shepherd boy, arrives on the scene. And the difference in David here is not the difference in his age, in his inexperience, or his experience. You know the difference in David? David has an awesome faith in God. Saul is looking at this giant from a ground level perspective. David is looking from this giant from a God level perspective. And it changes everything. From a ground level perspective, he's willing to be afraid and he's willing to talk about, we'll take care of this in the future. From a God-level perspective, David believes with all of his heart that it's God's will that this man should be defeated and fear is not going to stop him and it's not someday, it is today. 
And notice the wording here as we read 31, 32, and 33. Now when the words which David spoke were heard, they reported them to Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with the Philistines. And Saul said to David, now think about it. This is what Saul is saying to David as he says, I'll go fight the Philistines. You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. For you are a youth and a man of war from his youth. Think about that. He says, all right, son, you're a youth. And, And do I need to remind you of this Philistine Goliath? He's not a youth. Not only is he a giant, he is a man of war from his youth. You see, the bottom line is from a just an intellectual, take faith out of the picture standpoint, even if he would have been an average sized man, it still would not have been wise for David to be inexperienced in battle to go against a man who literally is a trained killer. He was a very experienced man in war from his youth. Now, why did David do it? David did it because he knew that his God would deliver him. When we read 37, and we don't have it on the slide there, but he says, moreover, David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. Friends, what is it? What is it that you need to do that you know it's the will of God, but in your life up to this point, it seemed like a giant It seemed like something that you just haven't been able to do. I want to challenge you this morning from the story of David and Goliath to stop looking at it from a fleshly standpoint and look at it from a faithful standpoint and say, from a God-level perspective, I'm not going to let fear stop me. Other people may say it's ridiculous, but I'm going to put my faith in God. You see, when we look at Matthew, the 25th chapter, we know that chapter has a few stories in it. And three, uh, one of the three stories is the story of the parable of the talents. And remember, one was given five talent, and one was given two talent, and one was given one talent. And do you remember that the one talent took his money, and look in verse 18, in verse 18, but he had received one, went and dug in the ground, and hid his Lord's money. What do you think was on his mind? I don't want to take any risk. Wasn't that the case? Five-talent man says, I tell you what, my master's going to come back. He's going to expect something better. Ooh, this is risky. I'm going to take this five-talent. I'm going to invest it. I hope I have more when the master comes back. The two-talent man says, I know he's coming back. I'm going to have to do something now so I can be ready when he comes back. I want to do something now. And he, he knows it's risky, and he invests. The one-talent man says, oh, what if I lose it? What if I lose it? I tell you what I'll do. I'll do what is the safe thing today. Boom, put it under the ground. Oh, I feel so much better. My money's safe now. Everything's going to be good. Hey, uh, Mr. One Talent Man, are you ever going to invest it? I know it's not in the text, but the attitude is there. The attitude. I believe you could have went up to him and said, Hey, do you plan on leaving that one talent in the ground forever? He probably would have said, Oh, no, no. When I find the right occasion, when I find everything that's just exactly right, yeah, someday. Someday I'll I'll do something with that one talent. Did you notice there in verse 19 how much time went by? After a long time, the Lord of the servant came and settled the accounts. Why do you think God put that in the story? I believe God put that in the story to help us see that when we start bearing things and start saying we're not going to risk anything and we start saying I'm just going to live a real safe life with no risk, We do that day after day after day. Some days never, never roll around. 
And the master returned. And when we look down in verse 25, notice what paralyzed him. In 25, I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. And in 26, but the Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered. God was, this story was pretty tough on that idea of I want to live a risk-free life. I just want to take my life and put it on hold. I just want to take my life and bury it. Friends, I urge you to realize that God never intends for anybody to be stagnant. God intends for every one of us to use our life today. And if there's things that I know I ought to be doing and should be doing and could be doing and can be doing, God's not asking for someday. God's asking for today. With that in mind, I ask you to have an attitude not only of no more someday's, but right in line with that, no more squandering. Let's be thrifty. If we talk about not squandering money and being thrifty with money, you understand that what that's saying is an individual realizes they only have so much of it and they're wise with what they have. I like this quote from Diane Ackerman. She says, I don't want to get to the end of my life and find that I have just lived the length of it. I want to have lived the width of it as well. Turn with me, if you will, to Psalm 34. I'm sorry, Psalm 39. Psalm 39, it'll be verse 4. Isn't it interesting? And on the screen there, you also see the text that's already been... Uh, capably read for us this morning. And, and, and think about it first, and then we'll back up to Psalm 39. Think about that Psalm 90 and 12 where he says to the Lord, So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Real simple, isn't it? You want a heart of wisdom. Lord, what, what do I need to understand before I can get a heart of wisdom? He says, you have to understand your days are numbered. Everybody here has a day of death that if God wanted to reveal it to you, He could. Every one of us are one day closer than we were yesterday to that day of death. Our days are numbered. Just as, as last year when we took our young men out on what we called chisel, that was a 48-hour experience. One of the times we exercises we did, we unloaded two vans of guys. We gave each guy, each van, $10. There's about nine or ten guys on each van. We gave them $10 each and we let them out at Kroger. We told them they could not add any money to that $10, and that was their lunch. They had to feed 10 guys right there in Kroger. They came out and sat on the sidewalk outside of Kroger, and they ate right there on $10. I don't have to suggest to you, do I, how thrifty they were. I wish you could have seen it. Guys walking up and down, meeting each other, saying, hey, we can get a pack of bologna for, and they name that, and we can get bread for, and we can buy a two liter for, and they put, no, no, no. We can get this roasted chicken over here, and we can get it for. And you can just imagine how it, it all, it took them about 20 minutes to shop to figure out how can we feed 10 people on $10. You know what? When we recognize that we have a limit of something, we become wise with it. Now think about what the Lord's saying. We're not spinning anything at all. We're literally saying what the Lord is literally saying. The Lord says, you can't have a heart of wisdom if you do not know that your days are numbered. 
Every time you live a day, it's one less day you have on this earth. Every time you live an hour, it's one less hour you have on this earth. Number your days, have a heart of wisdom. Live as if you're going to live forever, live as a fool. This is the way he says it in Psalms 39 and verse 4. Lord, make me. See how the psalmist is saying, Lord, I struggle with this. Our human nature is, I've gotten up every morning for so long, I just think I'm going to get up every morning for so long. Lord, can you make me to know my end? And what is the measure of my days that I may know how frail I am? God says, I need to remind you that if you are an adult, you're probably at the strongest you'll ever be. You need to know that through life, you're moving toward an end physically. Now, the beauty in 2 Corinthians, the fourth chapter, is as the outward man is perishing day by day, the inner man is renewing. So spiritually, it's a beautiful message. But you see, we don't even understand that message unless we understand that the physical person is decaying day after day. That's why when we go to Ecclesiastes, the seventh chapter, it would almost seem ridiculous to someone who had never been taught anything of a spiritual nature when he says there in the seventh chapter in verse two of Ecclesiastes, better to go in the house of mourning, go in the house of feasting. Why? For that is the end of all men and the living will take it to their heart. See how each time, each of these verses, he has spoken about knowing the number of your days, knowing the end. And each time he talks about taking it to your heart, he's saying, all right, you could have an invitation to go to a, a celebration. Or you could have an invitation to go to a funeral. And God says, I would rather you choose the invitation to go to a funeral because when you go there, you're going to be reminded of the end of life. When you're reminded of the end of life, you take it to heart and you become a wiser person. That's why he says in verse 4, again speaking of the heart, the heart of the wise is in the house of the morning, but the heart of the fool is in the house of mirth. There are many, many illustrations. And for time's sake, uh, as we look at this next slide, you just make it up in your mind however you want it to be. You think about a jar... Marbles, And I want you to think about the next 30 days. Every day you take a marble out of that jar. Every day you see that jar go down. In the last week you say, wow, I only have, I only have seven marbles left. You pull out each one of those and finally it's over. That's it. Do you realize that everybody here has a jar of marbles and there are however many marbles in it if you want one to represent each day of your life. And that jar is getting less and less every day. How are you using your time? Richard Koch wrote a book that was very popular from a business perspective, the 80-20 rule. And he says in business and in the life of individuals, 80% of your production comes as a result of 20% of the time that you spend. And what he says in that book is he is saying that individuals, when they are focused, can accomplish so much, but the problem is most people waste 80% of their time. He says most businesses waste 80% of the time of their employees. In other words, they find that their employees aren't focused, they aren't doing things that are productive. Now, I'm not suggesting you in our life that we ought to think about making products. That's not it at all. In other words, one of the things we need to make sure we make is we need to make time to obey when the Lord says, be still and know that I am God. So we're not talking about making products, but we are talking about this. How much time do you waste in your life? It may not be that the things that you're doing are sin in and of themselves. It may be, but it may not be. The question just is this simple. Right now, if you observed last week, did you waste time? If you look back at, at, at Tuesday night, if you look back at Monday, if you look back at Sunday afternoon, 
If you look back, did you waste time? If you evaluate your life, would you say, you know what? A little bit of TV is all right, but two or three hours every night, that's a waste. A little bit of Facebook's all right, but several hours a day, that's a waste. Texting may be all right, but thousands of texts a day, that's a waste. Talking to friends may be all right, but just sitting around and talking to friends for hours and hours and accomplishing nothing, that's a waste. Friends, when you evaluate your life, each of us, we live a different life, but all of us struggle with the same thing. What am I doing that's productive? The Lord says, if we realize time is life and time cannot be replaced, then we're going to have a heart of wisdom that says, I need to deal more wisely with my time. And then finally, as we move to the end of this lesson, no more burnout. I want to encourage you to realize that if we could, and I know none of us are perfect, if we could live our life exactly the way God wanted to be lived, do you realize we wouldn't burn out? It's so hard to keep things in priority and keep things balanced, isn't it? To me, that's one of the greatest challenges of life. But think about our Lord as He says in Matthew the 28th chapter, Matthew the 11th chapter, verse 28. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Think about that. What's He doing? He's giving rest. Why? Because He will pull us away from a life that has mixed priorities. He'll pull us away from a life that's out. Satan will do anything that he can to drain us and to pull us down. And the Lord says, come to me. If you can live by my guidelines, if you can live by my wisdom, I can give you rest. Now, as we close this lesson, turn over, if you will, to John, the 15th chapter. And John, the 15th chapter, notice especially verse 1, and then skip down and notice verse 5. In verse 1, he says, I am the true vine, and the Father is the vine dresser. But notice who are the branches. In verse 4, he says, Abide in me, and I in you, as much as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Do you realize that what the Lord here is saying is, do you want a fruitful life? Not a life that burns out, but do you want a fruitful life? He says you have to think three dimensions here. Number one, you have to think, who is the vine? We like to be our own vine. See, when we're the vine, we get to make the calls. God says, no, 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 no. You let Jesus be the vine. Well, where does that place us? We're a branch. We're connected to the vine. Now, if we are connected to the vine, notice, then we can produce fruit. Our life can be fruitful instead of burn out. We have to accept, though, if that's where we want to live, in Christ the heavenly father is the vine dresser. He gets to pull out the shears and he gets to prune us. And he'll discipline us. And when we start to get things out of balance, he'll say, I'm going to give you a guilty conscience. It's up to you to change that. Pull yourself back in line. Or you can choose to totally disconnect. Friends, when we totally disconnect from the vine, we're asking for burnout. The Lord's not saying... Will you live 100 miles an hour every day and make sure that you have a mountain high of good that you've accomplished in your life? The Lord is asking, will you be connected to me? We'll have a life that is well lived when we are truly connected to Him. No more some days, no more squandering, no more burnout. If you had 30 days to live, what changes would you make in your life? As we sing this song of encouragement in just a moment, I want to ask you this. If you had 30 minutes to live, what changes would you make right now? Someone says, preacher, that's not really fair. That sounds like you're trying to pressure someone. No. 
not pressure someone any more than what God has pressured individuals. The Lord teaches us to number our days and to be ready at any time. Friends, 30 days to live, what changes would you make? 30 minutes to live, what changes would you make right now? If you're not a child of God, would you be born into Christ right now through the baptism as one that's willing to repent and, and confess sin? Or if you have done that in your past and you need to come back home and reprioritize, we'd love to help you and encourage you and pray for you in every way that we can. If we can help you, come as we stand and as we sing.